tried to put together a piece of furniture or, God forbid, a Barbie playhouse. By the way, young parents, Barbie toys were invented by the devil. They're just like impossible to put together. But you get to the end and you realize that you did something out of order or you've got like a piece that, oh, this was, I needed to use this in step two, not step 37. And you got to tear the whole thing apart, right? Last summer, uh, I had uh, some really bad shoulder pain. And I've dislocated my shoulder before, so I just assumed it was, it was from that. Um, but it just it went on for a long time, and then it started moving down my arm, and it was in my elbow, and then my fingers started going numb. Which, if you don't know, that playing guitar is kind of tricky when your fingers are numb. Uh, so I, I ended up, I, I went to the doctor, I went to the chiropractor, and it all, even though it was down here, it came from something in my neck that was just out, and we, we got that straightened up. So when you get things out of alignment, or you get things out of order, it just leads to all kinds of other problems, right? Um, it leads to disorder, or if it's in your family, we call it dis what? Dysfunction, a dysfunctional family, which is, that means you have a family, basically. Um, but it leads to disorder and dysfunction, and ultimately it leads to pain. And we've seen what happens Right when in society, when things get out of whack, it, it leads to all sorts of problems. In our in our homes, when things are out of alignment, uh, you know, we get a dysfunctional family. And and really, at this point, if you're not weird, then you're weird. You know, if you're not dysfunctional, then you're the weird one. Uh, so in chapter 14, even though we've seen this stuff happen, you know, in a, on a small scale, we've seen this stuff happen in our homes. We've seen it happen in our families. In chapter 14, Paul has been talking about when disorder makes its way into the church and when we gather for worship and what the dangers of that are, right? And so basically he, he's been talking about how they've been, they've been misusing uh, spiritual gifts, their services were chaotic, um, people were breaking off into little groups and like arguing and debating in, while the service was going on. And Paul, he's really concerned that when we gather together, uh, that it, that when we gather as a church, that we would be united, right? That this wouldn't be, this should be a safe place where you come to be built up, not a place where you're going to come and be confused and torn down. And so part of how we get that sort of unity he's talked about in this chapter is that, hey, we're going to limit how many people speak during the service. We're going to have one, two, or three tops are going to be our speakers, our, our primary speakers in the service. And when they, when these speakers, when they prophesy, is the word he uses, uh, and all that word means when you prophesy, it means to proclaim uh, divine truth. It means, uh, you know, thus saith the Lord. The Lord says this, you're prophesying. When we hear that word, we think Nostradamus and, you know, telling the future. And there is that sort of prophecy in Scripture. The word itself just means to proclaim the truth. Right? So we're going to have one, two, or three people speak and proclaim divine truth. And then it's on the elders of the church. It's their job uh, 
to decide whether what is being spoken and taught is correct or not, if we need to shut it down or, or let it continue. And so Chris has been dealing with all that the last, last couple weeks. Now, I, I make jokes about this. He's notorious for um, leaving me to cover the not-so-fun text. He says it's coincidence. It's just an accident. Uh, but somehow I get the ones about uh, giving, spanking your kids, you know, anything that will make you unpopular. I'm sure it's a coincidence, so let's see where we pick up this week. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. The women are to keep silent in the churches, so they are not not permitted to speak. Dang it. Okay. Let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you this morning for giving us the opportunity to gather together like this, that we can fellowship, we can worship, and we, we know we don't get it all correct. We don't get it all right, but we try to do it in order. We try to do it in a way that we can focus on you. So we pray, Lord, that anything that would be distracting to us today, that you would just block that out. Help us to focus on you and the truth in your word. Help us to understand it and through it to understand you better and who we can be in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to have a seat for this one. So yeah, we call this uh, Don't Get It Twisted, uh, because Scripture very often gets twisted. Uh, and to twist something is to alter its meaning, uh, its purpose, right? And so the, to, when, you, when it comes to Scripture, you're altering the meaning of the passage from its original intent. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 16 he said this, uh, because many of the scriptures that get twisted are, are ones written by Paul. And he said this, he says, his, or Paul, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort or twist as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, is one of those verses that uh, very often is used incorrectly. And very often pastors will um, try to avoid it like the plague. I don't think that's what Chris did. I don't think. Um, but, you know, there's one, uh, there are a couple pastors that whenever I'm going to preach a difficult text, I'll look and see, have they preached on this? And I'll see what they have to say because I trust their discernment. And I want to, you know, get their take. And there's one pastor in particular that, um, I saw he had preached this chapter. I'm like, great. So I sat and I listened through his whole sermon. And when he got to that verse, the band started to play softly. And he was like, oh, I guess I'm out of time. And I was like, come on. Here's the thing. We need to keep in mind, right, that uh, Joseph and Mary, they bring baby Jesus to the temple. And, and we see Anna, the prophetess, is there, and, and she's brought into the scene because presumably she spoke, right? Um, the daughters of Philip, were told, prophesied. That means they proclaimed divine truth. In 1 Corinthians 11, in the same letter we're studying, just a few chapters back, Paul talked about when women pray and when women prophesy in the church. They need to 
do these, you know, do it this certain way. So it seems odd that if Paul means that women literally cannot open their mouths and utter a sound in the church, that seems a little incongruent with what he's already said. So when it comes to this, when it comes to the role of women in the church or in ministry, there are basically two, maybe maybe consider three views. Um, so there's the, the complementarian viewpoint. That just is the idea that men and women are equal, but have different roles and responsibilities. That's, that's basically the view we hold. Now that can get out of balance, and it turns into this um, abusive patriarchal type thing, where you know women are actually lower than men, and that's we don't believe that's true. Then there's also the egalitarian view, which is that there's no difference between men and women, and that we could each equally do whatever. Right? There's no difference whatsoever. And you can make arguments for both. Uh, there are some passages that um, would, you know, support the egalitarian view. Like Galatians 3, verse 28, says that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the same guy that wrote the letter that we're studying today. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is speaking to the early church to the people who would become the early church. And he's repeating something from the Old Testament, and he says, in the last days, verse 17, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will so depending on your background, um, you may have no issue with this whatsoever. You may have all sorts of baggage with it. Uh, and so we're going to do our best today to, to, to clear it up for you, at least show you this is how we view it, and do with it what you will. So, it's so important that, uh, that you remember that context determines meaning. Uh, context matters. You take any verse out of context and you can twist it to mean whatever you want it to mean. So we'll go back, we're going to go back one verse prior to our main text. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. Paul said, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Right? He, he's not about confusion He's about order. In Corinth, uh, the, the church that Paul's addressing this letter to, and you have to keep in mind, they apparently had sent some questions to Paul, and Paul is answering their questions. But in Corinth, uh, the primary religion, the primary mode of worship, was the worship of Dionysus. Uh, he's the god of wine and madness. And so the worship of Dionysus was loud. Uh, people basically got drunk, and then there was 
drums and clanging cymbals and gongs and shouts and crazy dances and uh, and it was mostly led by women. Now some of those women are now Christian. Uh, they're part of the church. And old habits die hard. So Paul's focus in this chapter is there needs to be order. Hey, what we do here is different than what you are used to. What you do out there is different than what we do here. Uh, and we're concerned about order. So verse 34, he says, The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves. That means to voluntarily carry a burden. They're to subject, uh, subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, Paul uses this ancient Greek verb here, leleo, uh, which means to, to question or to argue um, or to chatter. So when he says they're not permitted to speak, he says, he uses this word. They're not permitted to question, argue, or chatter. There's another passage that will often be brought up when we talk about this issue. And so I want you to keep this in mind, right? This, this word he uses is, I don't want them arguing and questioning and chattering. Then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, we just covered this a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, um, and somehow I drew that, uh, I drew that straw that time too. Uh, weird. 1 Timothy 2, verse 11, it says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submission. Now, when we read this stuff, and we're going to read more of that, but when we read this stuff about being quiet and submissive and the early church and women's roles and all this stuff, it's, it's hard to read it. We read it with a 2023 mindset. When it was written in 53 AD. There's a little bit of a difference. Uh, in Roman and Greek and even Jewish culture, women were considered property. But Christianity was something different. Paul says here, he says, a woman must quietly receive instruction. But And we, and we focus on the, the quietly part or the submissive part. But he just said they must receive instruction. They are to be instructed. It, it seems like a given today, but in the first century, women were not encouraged to learn. They were discouraged from learning. As a matter of fact, most rabbis refused to teach women. Paul is telling the church, no, no, no. They, they must receive instruction, just like you. There's no difference in them. Paul praised women in, in his letters. He, he talked about Phoebe. Um, he actually called her a, a, a Funny, the King James translated as a servant, but he uses the word deacon. He, he says she was a, a deaconess. Uh, he talked about Priscilla, how she taught Apollos a better way. A Apollos had part of the part of the gospel, but was missing part of the equation. And Priscilla taught him the rest, helped filled him in on what the Holy Spirit's role was. 
After Christ was crucified, all his male followers, except for John, ran. And it was the women who stayed to the bitter end. It was it was the women who first heralded the news of his resurrection. Now, all that being said, Paul does say a woman must look, must quietly receive instruction. And uh, the word he uses here, it's there's two. There's basically two words he could have used for quietly or or silence. He could have used uh, segeo, which is like the absence of sound. He should not make a sound. But the word he uses is uh, hezekia. And he uses the word again in the next verse, in verse 12. He says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Hezekia. Which means uh, voluntarily restrained. making a scene. So the early church, and uh, you may have even grown up in a church today that has this kind of culture. I grew up in one like this. They were a little mixed up on a few things. But the early church, uh, the women sat on one side of the room, and the men sat on the other. And the speaker would be the king. And apparently, uh, it appears the women in the early church, especially in these cities where they were used to loud, noisy, chaotic worship, uh, the women in the early church were chatty Cathy's, and uh, they would be arguing with the speaker, or questioning the speaker, or yelling to their husband on the other side of the room, you know, what does he mean by that? And Paul says, that is chaos. It needs to be ordered, right? It, it's, the, it's the role of the elders of the church to question the speaker. It's not your role. It's the role of the, the leaders of the church to determine whether what's being taught is correct or not. And if you have a question, wait till you get home and ask the question. So, uh, can a woman proclaim divine truth? Well, Paul says she can. Peter says she can. And the Old Testament says she can. Can a woman teach? Well, Paul says she can. He says uh, Priscilla taught Apollo a better way. Uh, in Titus, he commands the older women especially to teach the younger women. There is a, there is a, a need for that. The big question is who has authority when it comes to what is being taught. And so the role of uh, bishop or elder or overseer or pastor, they're all just different words for basically the same thing. All of them are masculine. And we, we can argue about all kinds of things, but I spent a long, long time learning ancient languages, and those are all masculine words. Uh, all the qualifications are masculine. So, and it all, he, Paul, in First Timothy, he addresses more of that too. But it all comes back to this thing called the curse. Right? When Adam and Eve sinned, they uh, brought sin into the world, and God 
had to deal with it, and he pronounced a curse upon men and women. And when we say that, you know, there's there's no difference between the genders, well, at the very beginning, God says there's a different curse for men, and there's a different curse for women. There seems to be a difference. 1 Timothy 2, verse 13, he says this. He says, For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, when I mentioned earlier that there's uh, the like dark side of complementarianism is this abusive patriarchal system, they'll take this verse and go, yeah, see, it's the woman's fault. She's dumb. And so the men need to be in charge. That's not what Paul was saying at all. What Paul is getting at, he says, Adam knew better. God told Adam face to face, you do not eat this. That's my one rule. And then it was Adam's job to convey that to Eve. Well, God said, we don't eat that. And Adam, uh, in order to basically, I guess, to keep the peace at home, I don't know, he sent... He sinned eyes wide open. He knew full well, God told me not to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Instead of doing the hard thing, instead of being a leader and going against, you know, I know, Eve, that you want to do this, but there's a reason we shouldn't, and we're not going to. Instead of standing strong, he just went along, and he buckled. And so as a result, the curse that was put upon mankind was this, that he says, Adam, from now on, the earth's not going to yield its fruit to you easily. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow. Work is going to be work now. Adam was already working, by the way. If you read the creation account, he was tending the garden. And now he says it's going to be hard. Now work is not going to be a thing that you enjoy. Um, and you're going to be held accountable for the leadership of your home and ultimately in the church. Because you didn't lead when you were supposed to, now I'm making it your job, and you are the one that is responsible for it if it goes wrong. Then Eve, he says that now you'll find that birthing and raising a child, when you read that word in the, in the Hebrew, it really means the, the raising of a child. It's not just the birth. I don't think, you know, babies just popped out with no pain before, you know, uh, but... Now he says got the bringing up a child is going to be painful. It's going to be full of pain, and you will forever desire to take the lead at home, at work, in, in, in the church. You're going to always desire to take the lead, and I'm saying that you shouldn't. Now let me go me go down sideways for you, and. and uh, I kind of misspoke there. He, he basically says that you'll forever desire your husband's role, right? You'll always want to be in his spot, and, and you want to lead when you shouldn't. That doesn't mean you can't lead in the workplace or in, you know, in society. Um, but God has called us both to lead a supernatural existence, a supernatural life. That means you fight against your self-destructive elements of your nature. You go against what comes naturally to you. 
And the curse that came upon mankind was this, that man, you will always try to get out of doing the hard stuff. And I'm calling you to do the hard stuff. A woman, you will always just naturally try to pick up all the hard stuff. And I'm calling you to leave it on the ground and let him pick it up. That's hard. So, man, you're supposed to lead. Uh, and here's the hard part is you're supposed to lead not through wrath or dissension or violence because that's what comes naturally. Right? That's part of why my kids listen to me because there's a threat of violence with me. Um, but we're supposed to lead through love and prayer and mercy, things that do not come naturally. And women, you're called to learn, he says, to find peace without having to be in control. And to help make the world a better place by you know, raising up new men and women who will do a better job in the next generation. But here's the thing, is we are all called to prophesy. Nobody gets off the hook when it comes to speaking divine truth. We're all supposed to share the Word of God with the world. And Paul knew this message would go down sideways. Right? So in the rest of the chapter, verse 36, he says this. He says, was it was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. And if anyone does not recognize this, he's not, he is not recognized. So he says, just in case anyone says, yeah, yeah, well, the Lord told me that you're wrong. Says, yeah, no. God still speaks. But he does not disagree with himself. Uh, what I wrote down, I wrote down, and it means what it means. Verse 39. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. And do not forbid to speak in tongues. Remember, that was an issue uh, last couple messages we talked about. That was something that was going on in the church. There were people that, you know, felt like, if you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't spiritual. And other people were like, well, that's, it seems like nonsense. And, you know, back and forth. And he says, look, uh, when you come together as a church, it's far better to be a blessing to uh, everyone else than it is to make it about you. Uh, but you need to leave room to the outside chance that someone who disagrees with you might not necessarily be wrong. If someone disagrees with you about how it works with tongues, uh, if someone disagrees with you about gender roles in ministry, I know good people on both sides of that argument. If someone disagrees with you about the end times, and is there a rapture, and when does it happen, and all that. Leave room for the possibility that you don't have it all figured out. Verse 40. He says, But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Right? This is the point of the whole 14th chapter. There's room to dis 
there's room to disagree. Uh, it's okay to have questions. But when you gather together, we set that stuff aside. And so if the pastor of the church that you're visiting this week says it's okay for a woman to, uh, to give the message this week, sit and listen to the message. If the pastor of the church that you're visiting this week feels that that's not proper, sit and listen to the message. And then discern for yourself. We need unity. We need to, uh, and that gives us, he gives us the reason why in the first few verses of the next chapter. And we're going to cover this way more in depth next week. But chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Which you receive, and that's if you uh, take notes, you might want to underline that word, which you receive. This gospel I preach to you, which you receive, not just that you heard, but you receive and accepted it. Like when uh, when the mailman comes to your house and they, they're like, hey, I can't just put this in your mailbox, you've got to come sign for this. Right? You are, I'm going to put this in your hand and we're going to make sure everybody knows you've got it. You're not just, you know, acknowledging it exists. You, we're, ma- we're making sure you received it. It's in your hands. Uh, this gospel I preach to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as a first importance. Right? We just spent a bunch of time talking about who can talk and when and how and all this stuff. But here's what's of first importance. That Christ died for our sins. According to the scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. According to the scripture. I like to put it this way. That the main thing. Is to keep the main thing. The main thing. We can have disagreements about it. Uh, we believe here uh, that, yeah, a woman can speak in church, but the role of, of senior pastor sure looks like all the qualifications are masculine. And it's not, it's not that men make better pastors. As a matter of fact, I think for much of what the role requires, women would probably do a better job when it comes to nurturing and, and all that. But we're called to go against the men. But the main thing, right, is not that. The main thing, keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is that the gospel is, is good news, that this, this radical named Jesus who said and, and did things that flew in the face of all the common societal and religious standards of the day, this Jesus who radically changed and elevated the position of women to a place that they'd never been, women would not have the rights they have today had it not been for Jesus. Uh, This Jesus who knows you infinitely and intimately uh, better than you know yourself, who knows every sin you have and ever will commit. This Jesus chose to die for your sins and pay your debt. And then he did something so radical that we reset how we keep track of time. 
he rose from the dead, and he defeated death, and he's alive forever, and he invites you to spend forever with him. So in order to keep the main thing the main thing, we're going to go to John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So you've heard the gospel, and the question is, do you receive it? Right? Do you claim it as yours? Do you, do you trust that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he did what he said he did, that he can do what he says he can do? If so, then the Bible tells us you have eternal life. You're one of His. And all those other things, all those secondary issues, we can deal with those as we, we go from this that starting point. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we, we don't pretend that we know how all of it works. But Lord, we do know that uh, you have a specific plan, a desire, a design for us. And one of those things, is, one of those elements of that design is that you're calling us to go against our nature, to go against the part of us that wants the worst, thing, to do the hard thing. But Lord, you made our starting point the easy thing. You did the hard work. If we would just trust you for eternal life, we'd have it. So Lord, for all those of us who have done that, have trusted you, we receive your gift of eternal life, and we invite you into our daily life. And we're asking that you bring order to our disorder. And help us to lead supernatural, abundant life. Lord, we pray for the peace that only you can give, and we pray that you come and come quickly. All God's people say. Amen. All right. Ready? Great.